Welcome to You Can't Kill Me, every Slipknot song one by one. We are Chris Nee and Dave Musson, and we're here today to talk about our favourite Slipknot song, Kill Pop. Indeed we are, our favourite. Our favourite. I am going to say that for every show, because it's hilarious. And it's pretty accurate with this band, really. I think that's it. So we, we, we need to be careful going through every Slipknot song and doing what we're going to do, which is over the course of what I can only assume is going to be about 15 years, mm-hmm. we're going to rank every Slipknot song from top to bottom. Yep, because we like a challenge. From best to worst. Um, so, I am a fan. And nothing more. You're a fan and a guitarist in a band. So I'm rely- <laughs> relying on you to add some sort of criticism somewhere if there is any to be found. Fair. Okay, I'll try. So, I, I think it's important before we do the first episode that we briefly kind of introduce who we are as Slipknot fans. Because it... My relationship with the band is very meaningful to me in the sense that before the debut album, and we'll talk about that at some point as well, um, came out, I was a Metallica fan. I was very into the rest of the big four. I was into Faith No More. I was starting to um, have an appreciation of the bands that influenced them. Anything screamy, I would run a mile. I just, I whatever it was, I didn't like it, and I was I was listening to Black Sabbath and Dio and um, Alice Cooper and um, Blue Oyster Cult with my mates while we were sitting sitting playing FIFA and Pro Evo as as a teenager, and then Slipknot came along, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't resist it, and that was it. It's changed not just oh I like Slipknot it's changed my entire musical outlook and mm. everything, you know, you know what I like, everything that I listen to nowadays um, is, is certainly more screamed and growled and shouted than, than sung. And that is because of the self-titled Slipknot record. Mm. And I think we've talked about, we've talked about, I've mentioned my relationship with the self-titled album on our, our other podcast. Um, but yeah, that self-titled record uh, that came out at a point when, so I was, I was brought up on classic rock and brought up on a lot of a lot of heavier bands, um, and then at the start of secondary school, in a sort of failed bid to try and be popular, mainly with girls, I pretended to like pop music for a bit, um, and got bored of that pretty quickly. And The Offspring's Americana and Blink One Eighty Two, Enemy of the State, came out, and that that got me back interested in guitars. And then I think I've told the story before. My dad used to work as a librarian, and he got me the self-titled Slipknot album and issues. And I put the self-titled on um, while I was doing my homework. And as soon as six started, I had to stop and turn around and just stare at the speakers. And that album just set me up to sort of forge my own musical path that was still heavy, loud rock music, but it was the sort of thing that was too extreme for my parents to like. Um, And that was, yeah, this band were huge in me creating an identity for myself as a music fan. And I very quickly got involved with with Roadrunner Records, so I was on their street team. Um, And that led to lots of really good Slipknot experiences, which I'm sure will come out over the course of this podcast. But yeah, like you, they're they're hugely influential in my musical taste. And you know, when I think back to me as a teenager, Slipknot is a soundtrack. Yeah. So we're not interested in our Slipknot, a new metal band. Right. So the the big question that keeps cropping up, um, we're going to go a little deeper than that. And we are going to go through, uh, we're going to do it in, in seasons. So mm-hmm. season one, we're going to have six episodes. So all of them will be available basically now. Um, and we're going to go song by song 
and we're going to rank them and we're going to assess each song on its own merits and otherwise um otherwise <laughs> there's no otherwise um and so, we, are, we are going to give them a score aren't we and that's mainly yeah. to help us ranking them because we figured that you know doing it in six episodes you can rank six songs in an order fairly easily but four seasons down the line when we're up to 50 songs done it's as much as anything just to at least work out where in the overall league ladder this song is and then we can fine tune it from there isn't it so don't get too don't get too pissy about the ranking about the scores <laughs> um it's more to help us and we are scoring out of nine aren't we because we're scoring out of nine slipknot. because slipknot yeah uh right let's begin first song uh all we're gonna do is put kill pop under the microscope um and we're gonna alternate the choices i won the coin toss i've chosen kill pop as the first song that we're gonna do um and the reason why I've picked this song is is basically because I think that as a first episode, it's a useful gauge of who we are as as Slipknot fans. I think this album, Song Point Five, The Grey Chapter, um, is a bit of a line in the sand for a lot of Slipknot fans. It's one of its big singles, and it's possibly the very reason why this album is a bit of a line in the sand. So, without answering. Um, the, the question in too much detail because that's what we're going to do here i want to know what you think of this song i really like this song me and, too and i i'm really glad you picked this as a first one because so point five the great chapter i remember liking it when it came out and it was around the time when things were starting when rock music in general was starting to get really interesting again so it kind of came and went in some ways like like a slipknot album hasn't really done before I do remember always liking this on first listen. So to come back and have this as the first one under the microscope is great. I I think I think it's such a brilliant representation of of an older slipknot. And mm. I, I love so much about it. I took a little while to warm to this song and it was helped by the video. It was in quite heavy rotation when Scuzz was still a thing and still on my tally and I used to flick through and I can't turn off slipknot. So I I, I gradually kind of developed a love for this song just because of conditioning really um the album i liked straight away i felt like i was kind of out there flying the flag for the album a lot of people that we've we've got a lot of respect for and have kind of spoken to about this record before weren't quite so hot on it and i can understand that i always really liked it but then when it comes down to where does it actually sit in the slipknot pantheon yeah. I don't actually disagree with those people at all. It was a bit of a it was a bit it was a bit like the reaction to Death Magnetic by Metallica in some mm. ways. It was like, yes, they're back and they're they're firing and they're doing interesting stuff. Um and then it kind of went away quite quickly. And and with it being an album that came out like when the internet when the keyboard warrior side of the internet was much more of a thing, obviously lots of people were gonna find fault with it and they were going to nitpick about it because oh, it's not a self-titled album but who wants a rehash of a self-titled album where you can see a band grow and, and change yeah there's a, there's a maturity on a lot of the the latter records and you know we're recording this pre the new album yeah. but we're going to put it out pretty much on the day of the new album mm. and i think that will will join this in in um that it is a grown-up slipknot and i think as much effect affection as i have for for the early records you can hear the growth and i think it's important that that growth happens because otherwise you are you're not improving as a band and i think that 
the the weak points on um particularly the self-titled they do show when you listen back to it and it's 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 not without affection that i say that i love all of it because of those weak points but it would be weird if they were still doing it now i'm actually somewhat surprised it, it, this this song took a while for, to grow on you because the thing that jumps out at me with you being a secret goth and all of that <laughs> yeah. is is the gothic undertones and the electro on it it feels like perhaps that perhaps that's more perhaps that's something that has developed in you since this album has come out but since i've known you mm. like hearing the intro to this song in the context of having a conversation with you yes this is right up chris's alley this i think it's probably a two-way relationship mm-hmm. um it is right in a sweet spot for me it probably wasn't quite such a, a sweet spot at the time but it certainly once i'd, I'd really given it time it, it it took hold pretty quickly uh the reality of who i was in 2014 basically is that i just <laughs> completely fell for custer i was like yep that'll do me that's the yeah. song um i liked the other sing- singles the ones that came out before the album came out i liked those and i liked the album and its vibe as a whole uh but i, I may maybe i was a little bit too impressionable in listening to people talking about um a certain characteristic within this song that we're going to dive a little deeper into and not quite making my mind up for myself until mm-hmm. I'd really given it a go. Um, other reasons for picking this as our first song, uh, it has, I I think, my favourite keg hits of the entire <laughs> Slipknot discography. More than the duality ones? That They are... The, I, I was listening to duality yesterday, and I was starting to doubt myself on it, but I think I prefer these, because what? it's they're so weird on this, and so not in the right place. Would these ones be here? Were it had duality not existed though? No, it's it's a very hello. This is Slipknot clunk, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. I'm still here. Yeah, Mr. Clown says. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll cover the video a little bit as well. But I think the the appearance of the barrel in the video really helps because um, it just it it telegraphs the fact that that's happening. And um, my God, he looks weird in that video while he's doing that, sitting on that picnic blanket. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Not cool. Um. So Kill Pop came out immediately prior originally, although it didn't really take hold in the UK, um, to Slipknot's fifth or sixth album. Let's do this fact. Fifth or sixth album. I think I think in keeping with the band's wishes, yeah. we assume Mate Feed Kill Repeat is a demo and we call this the fifth album. Agreed. Um so the the album reviewed I think we can say broadly slightly above average, if a little mixed some sometimes. Mm-hmm comparing Slipknot against Slipknot is so unfair. I don't know why people do it. Um, the general consensus uh, is that it's slotted into fourth place ahead of All Hope Is Gone. I would agree with that. See, I would. And I really, really, really love this album. Mm. So I found that people who were saying, oh, I'm not so sure about Point Five, The Grey Chapter, I think it's probably my my second least favourite Slipknot album. Um immediately sets the hairs on the back yeah. of my neck up and I'm ready to, to fight them. And I go, oh, yeah, now mine. The difficulty is that, that like, objectively the self-titled album doesn't stack up against most of the others, but it's got mm. so much, there's so much nostalgia around that and the fact that that's how they announced themselves to the world. And it was, to do that was just, th- that album changed both of our lives musically. So that's always going to have a, 
a hold and then volume three in iowa like what do you say about those we will say lots about them over the course of this podcast but spoiler they're really good yeah shock um so i had a look at some reviews of this album and and one of the ones that jumped out at me was was the quietus uh which described it as not a masterpiece by any means but praiseworthy overall especially given the circumstances of its creation mm-hmm. and we can't avoid those circumstances when we're when we're talking about this song mm-hmm. particularly as it's the first one we're speaking about from this album um so what they mean by that is is life after paul gray and life in slipknot without joey jordison mm-hmm. um i think most people listening to this will be slipknot fans and will understand that this issue goes beyond uh loss which is that's that's the the real life impact of this, and um, Paul's presence is everywhere on on this album. But Joey and Paul were so integral to Slipknot's writing and the craft of these songs that there was trepidation before this record. People will remember twenty twelve, twenty thirteen when when the you know as they say the Slipknot machine started to kind of start turning again. People were wondering what a Slipknot without Joey and Paul writing would sound like. Then there was Jim and Stone Sour and Corey and all of that going on. And Stone Sour got massive by this mm. point as well, hadn't they? It, well, it's not just like it was very different to like a Murder Dolls, for example, that, that was sort of fun for a bit. And then as soon as Slipknot kicked back into gear, everyone forgot about them. Yeah. Stone Sour were playing arenas on their own merit by this point. So you, you could understand the concern. And yeah, the, the loss of those two who had been part of this band right from mate feed kill repeat they've been yeah. they'd, and two of the probably the most important songwriters in this band as well i mean you, you look at interviews about paul in particular and everyone talks about his his just genius ability as not just as a songwriter but almost as as the band's internal producer as well like the ability to just change notes and change riffs to staggering effect and to and he was such a presence in that band and i mean it's all you say it's all over the album it's in the name right yeah. from the name through every single song through the fact that the two new members of the band weren't even allowed masks that were anything other than just kind of weird anonymous faces that was all done out of respect mainly for paul um but you're right that i, I remember that thinking what is what is this going to be like without those two at the helm yeah um I think it's worth praising the band for what they've been able to achieve. And I think it comes from, I, again, I personally very much like this album. Um, and from what we've heard of We Are Not Your Kind as well, it's, 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 there's still Slipknot mm-hmm. in there. And to keep that up without these these members of the band is worthy of huge praise. And I think that, that um, Corey and... Jim in particular deserves such such huge credit for keeping this thing going and of course Clown's overall vision is is at the very heart of it all and I think he's probably stepped up and, yeah. and helped kind of keep it slipknot as well. I think also there's, there's probably an argument for actually even though All Hope is Gone tends to sit at the bottom of most people's lists that was the first album where everyone really got involved in the writing process mm. in the band so so actually there's a lot it does take a lot of credit, even though perhaps it, they didn't nail it on that album. The confidence that it's clearly given everyone in the band to have a say in the writing, to get involved in the writing and to, to let their other influences come in and, and, and work on things either in small units or as a whole band. It, it it really does have an influence, which is, it's just, 
it's just unfortunate they didn't quite come together on all hope is gone which ended up being that final album of that lineup um but there's there's definitely you know at the very least that the the fact that point five was such a good record and is such a good record i think does owe plenty of gratitude to the one that came before it kill pop itself reached number 28 in the uk rock chart whatever the fuck that is <laughs> familiar no, no i think I jamie lemon's been number one in it Does once he? good but yeah i don't even know what that is um so let's have a look at this stone sour thing there's an argument out there that kill pop is a stone sour song that is a thing that people actually say including uh, the louder than war reviewed the album and said kill pop should live on a stone sour record utter bollocks right? absolute utter bollocks just because it was written by the two people in slipknot who happened to be in stone sour does not make it. this is this is in no way a stone sour song like stone sour could not create this atmosphere even taking out clown hitting that beer ke- that beer keg it's still not a stone sour song the guitars on this are far darker and far more technically metal than stone sour ever do the 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 solo that jim plays on this is a slipknot solo it's it's straight out of the kerry king book the 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 range in emotion in Corey's voice in this Mm. as well is slipknot there's there's no way that stone sour could create something this dark at all and it is it's that darkness firstly i don't think Corey even sounds particularly like he's in stone sour mode on this anyway no um there are plenty of other slipknot songs a lot on all hope is gone where he sounds far more in in stone sour mode but in relation to that i don't think there's a song in stone sour's entire discography that does mood like this this is pure slipknot Mm. there's no two ways about it and i just to me it's it's a sinister threatening pretty evil sounding song that sets sonic heaviness aside but deals as you say, in, in atmosphere instead, it is dark. It belongs in a horror movie. It's not big, bombastic American stadium rock. It just isn't. It's got a proper effortless cool to it. And with all that in mind, isn't it interesting that Radio 1 made this song their track of the day to coincide with the, the Slipknot tour in early 2015? So that meant, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, this song got played in every show on Radio 1 that day. I mean, this is a, that's a bold choice to, to force something on the mainstream. That That is a bold choice. Yeah, it is. And it speaks to the fact that, yes, it is catchy and accessible. And I have no problem with that. That is, it, it, this is how you smuggle uh, goth and slipknot and genuine darkness into the minds of people who might not otherwise have an instinctive uh, desire to seek that stuff out. It's perfect for me. But it's also a perfect song for me to say to somebody, you should listen to Slipknot. It's not what you think it is. Mm. And that's a really powerful thing for me as well. Um, the goth is really important in this. Um, the quiet, same Quietus review with specific regard to this song <laughs> described it as a disposable goth metal number that is placed with the intent of adding variation and flow yet stunts the album's ascent. Dispose. I mean, that's the kind of thing you'd write just to get attention really, isn't yeah. it? So the thing that that kind of really jumped out at me was the word disposable. And the reason for that was I read that review immediately after watching a video of Jim Root showing how this song is played on guitar. Right. And I'm no guitarist. 
but it seems to me that there's more to this song than disposable. Yeah, yeah just what, a bit. One thing that's really interesting is kind of how much of the atmosphere comes from the, the, the twisted, clean guitar parts in the verses. That mood that kind of sets in between the chorus parts, the sinister nature of it just sonically. Um, and I think that that comes through for me um, and makes Jim one of the stars of this song, not just in terms of its its, its creation, but how it's actually played. Um and when you isolate the guitar on this song and you see him sitting in a room playing it on his own, you see how much kind of thrash is in the, the, the heavier parts as well, which don't want to go into too much detail about other stuff than Slipknot that I like. Right up my Straza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the guitars on this, uh, as you said, I, I do play guitar, so I'm naturally drawn to the guitars. But the guitars do happen to be my favourite thing about this song. And it's it's the light and dark between the, the the verse and the chorus and even the verses which are, are lighter on first listen like you say when you isolate them when you hear what's going on they've still got so much atmosphere around them and again it's just it's just that sound of a of a band that is really confident in itself and you can hear jim taking in taking in influence from everything that has has come to him at that point in his career and I, I remember reading interviews with, with the band around the time this album came out and everyone was like, Jim was the man of the match on this. He pulled us together. He he was sort of captain of the ship in a lot of the writing. There's, in many ways, this is almost his album. And yeah, his guitar work on this song is is just brilliant. And it's it's particularly on the guitars, but I think the song as a whole, there's a lot of, of the atmosphere in this that reminds me of Iowa, but it's but it's that band that made Iowa however many years later after Iowa where they're a bit more perhaps they don't care quite so much what other people think but at the same time they're much more masters of their craft they they're allowing themselves to take more influence from other genres they they know that they don't need to do anything to appease the music industry bods because they're Slipknot at this point Slipknot could have put anything out and it would have sold by the bucket load but they still created this this masterpiece that just sits in in this really good album. Mm. So Corey's great on this song. Jim's great on this song. Clown's great on this song. Yeah. Let's talk about Jay. Oh, oh, the drums at the end. I just, if anyone had any doubts that the drumming were going to be a weak point on this album, just play the last 30 seconds of this song. I, I mean, that's not only is it impressive technically, but, there are nods there to those little bits that Slipknot have done throughout their career, sort of tribal percussive stuff. And, you know, most people listening to this will know that Slipknot have a drummer and two guys who basically do extra drumming. That ending sounds like three drummers mm. doing it, but it's pretty much all Jay. Yeah. And as a sort of as a sort of audition to the wider world, it's like saying, like, here's why I'm worthy of being in Slipknot. I, that ending is just stunning. I think there are parts of this song where Jay really stands out, and it it, it, it begins with um, Jim doing cool, weird, atmospheric mm. stuff and drums and percussion. The ending's fantastic, drum wise as well. But there is in the middle of the song a drum fill right from hell. It's so bassy and so deep. And it's just completely on its own. And it's it was the moment where this song finally clicked for me, was hearing that through proper speakers and understanding that 
ain't no stone sour drummer doing that. No, no. <laughs> you know, just not a thing. So I think, I mean, if you're ranking a band with all these people in it, one to nine on a song, Jay's top half on Kill Pop. Oh, definitely. These are the European places as far as Kill Pop is concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can almost almost discount Sid and Craig in many ways on this song. Mm. There's, there's, they're probably doing stuff that neither of us are, are fine have got fine tuned enough hearing to to pick up on. But the things that that you take away from it are the drumming, the the incredible vocal and guitar performances. Clowns just added je ne sais quoi on top. Mm. And, and the the bass that drives the song and that that actually introduces you to a song as well, um, I really enjoyed that. And again, it's it's obviously it's a shame that it's not Paul playing it, um, but in many ways that feels like another part of the tribute to him. That that yeah. the bass is is so prominent on this. It's, it's amazing how much of this song is Jim as well. And when you sit and watch him playing on his own, playing the guitar through it, you can hear the whole song mm. practically. It's incredible. Um, Lyrics are going to be a, a, a thing that we talk about quite a lot with Slipknot because what I you don't get all of the lyrics in a Slipknot song when you listen to it casually because of the way that it's all delivered and because of everything else that's going on. You don't have a nine-man band and listen to just the words, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is such a massive improvement in Slipknot's actual words from beginning to current career. And I'm able to pick much cooler lyrics out of the last couple of records um than i am from necessarily a lot of the first one particularly um well there's some some of that is the fact that we've grown up alongside the band growing up yeah, so yeah when the first album came out and it was fucking all fuck this world fuck everything you stand for like i had that on a patch sewn onto a pair of jeans and as a 15 16 year old th- that's what i wanted i wanted yeah. to be walking around town with that sewn onto that's me. I, I still stand by that stuff. I think the killer is still killer. Yeah. Um, but I think there's filler lyrics on, yeah. on a lot of that stuff that doesn't make a great deal of sense to you. As you if you just read them out, it doesn't make as much sense as hearing yeah. them. Yeah. But the ki- the killer lyrics later on are much better. Uh, um, I think I think less of a less of an aggro middle finger to the world, but I think a much more profound. Yeah, and it comes from the very start of Kill Pop. You know, the very first words as she's sticking needles in her skin, I tell with an ugly grin. Right. Mm-hmm doesn't sound like a lot necessarily it has more meaning than a lot of the early slipknot lyrics do and it works really well um and another really distinguishing factor from the old stone sour accusation is that whatever stone sour are doing and i think musically and and vocally they're miles away from slipknot anyway they're not doing we were meant to get we were meant to be together now don't fucking love me right that is a totally slipknot b fucking awesome yeah right um, and Stone Sour are not doing that. And no. Stone Sour, fine band in their own right. A lot of it I like, a lot of it I'm not too fussed by. They're not Slipknot. And throwing that accusation around at Slipknot is completely missing the point, I think. Um, we've mentioned she. Yes. Who is she, Dave? We've we've seen some quotes. Well, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of stuff online about who the she might be. And I think it got a lot of people guessing when the album and the single first came out, but I was reading about it. it Joey, she's Joey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. According to Corey himself, um, it's quite a long quote, but I think it's quite a nice quote. So I'll I'll go through it and read it. So this is a quote from Corey about 
Kilpop and about who the she is. So he said, I've really gotten everyone's interpretation of what the song means to them. And it's nowhere near what I wrote about. The song is my reflection on my relationship with music. That's who the she is. And not just music, but the music industry in general. You know, anytime you mix something that you love and business, you're going to find the rusty cracks in there that piss you off. So that song really is about how much I still love making music, but also how much I just hate the business side, the numbers side, the people in the suits who try to run stuff and having to deal with them and having to learn how to talk to them. So in many ways, this is this is the heretic anthem how yeah. many years further on and how much more of a mature way of expressing that particular position is this than the heretic anthem was when that came out it's just, it, even just knowing that you look at how this band has grown and matured and it's mm. it's staggering yeah it makes kill pop a very root one title all of a sudden doesn't it it does yeah oh, yeah oh it's kill they mean kill pop right? yeah. yeah yeah very cool um the video is Weird. such a yeah, <laughs> it's weird. It's such a big part of what made this song click for me, and I think such a big part of the kind of public perception of what Kill Pop is. Mm-hmm. Um, appropriately creepy. Yep. Built around two women in half and half makeup, a goat, um, and a massive band playing their parts largely separately in a mm. big old abandoned unit of some kind. Or, in the case of Sean sitting on a picnic blanket dragging his fingers across a snare drum yeah yeah um, that's not going to give you nightmares no not at all well it's as with a lot of the certainly the later videos this is one that sean directed Mm. um and he tends to just get weirder and weirder and creepier and creepier with every video really doesn't he yeah, I mean, the thing that struck out for me on this video was that Sid's having a good time, isn't he? I mean, he's not really doing much in the song, but what are you gonna do? he's dancing and jumping around. Um, yeah, Sean's having a good time without that keg as well. As oh, he well. is. Yeah. yeah. How enjoyable. many of those do you think he gets through in a year? Do you think he's Do you think he's got a deal with a, with a brewery somewhere in America to just have their unwanted kegs? Because the way he tosses that one off, over his head at the end, it just shows <laughs> flagrant oh, disregard for his that. musical instruments. Like, you're not going to see Mick chucking his guitar over his head like that. No, you are not. Um, speaking of guitars, it's it's really nice to see uh, Jim's solo get the spotlight that mm. it deserves in the video because it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a unique little little piece. It's not like Dave Mustaine or anything like that. It is no. a Slipknotty solo, but it's really great guitar playing. Um, and it, I, I learned from, from this process that he's not one of those guitarists who will note down his his solos he he sort of plays it by instinct so he was doing this kind of tutorial on how to play it and he just went i'm just gonna play it yeah i don't write it down i he said actually, some other things about how it's his song so he can do whatever the fuck he wants which i have mad time for as well yeah so i i i made a note that this solo and it sounds silly when you listen to so you listen to how many notes he fits into how short a mm. space of time i actually see it's quite an understated solo yes it is and it's it's a weird it's a weird mix that because like I say it's it's technically very very impressive and and right from the Slayer school but it's it just accents the song perfectly and it just fills that gap brilliantly and it's showy without being totally showy. I mean Jim could Jim could do far more than that if he wanted, but it just it's just the icing on the cake of this song. It just tops it off absolutely perfectly. Yeah, it does. Slayer's a great comparison. It's it's so like it, it's a rain and blood solo, isn't it? And that's one of those many influences that kind of brings this song together. Um, 
we got to rank these songs, so we need to give it a score in order to somehow place it before and after the other songs that Slipknot have made. Yeah. Um, it's got the best possible start because it's on its own. So yeah. it's straight in at number one. It really is. Yeah. Um, we're going out at nine mm-hmm. because narrative. Kill pop out of nine, Dave. I've gone for seven and a half. Wow. See, I I feel like it's a seven and a half. Yeah. And then I look through the rest of the songs. Yeah. I feel like I need to leave a bit of room. Okay. So I've given it a six and a half. Oh, wow. That, okay. that, this tells you where I see Slipknot as a band. Which okay. Is that I can talk like this about this song. And then it's probably only slightly above two thirds up the scale for me in terms of Slipknot's overall discography. So between us, we're saying seven then. Yes. That yeah, feels like are. a good compromise. Yeah, it does feel like a good compromise. Maybe we should add them together because that's going to give us more room for manoeuvre when it comes to the the whole league table. Uh-huh. Mm, we should think on that one. Yeah, we'll see how it progresses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we're going to need more more notches on the, the, the scale than nine, aren't we, in order to actually do this. Yeah. One other thing I was going to throw in on this, obviously there are going to be points in this this podcast where we get to mention remixes and cover versions mm. and there are neither of those have, have really happened for kill pop um so one thing I, I i've been pondering on the ones where there are no covers i start wondering about who i'd like to cover this how how could i how would how would this interest you a.a a. williams yeah. stripping this back and, and doing her thing on this song it would take away the aggro at the end but i mean if anyone could could strip it back and still keep the darkness. She could do it, couldn't she? Yeah, I think that would work really well. That whole scene would would fit it quite nicely. I can sort of see yeah. Chelsea Wolf doing something like this as well. I'm not interested in remixes in this song, to be honest. I no, think I don't no. think. To be honest, most of the remixes in Slipknot's discography I can do without. Um, yeah, but I'm always interested in an interesting cover, interesting and there are going to be some yeah. covers that come up that I think just didn't ever need to be done. But this song has so much potential for somebody, some some really credible artist to do something magical yeah. with it. And I think, yeah, A.A. A. Williams or someone from that scene. The Cure. Oh, oh yes, hello. please. Or Nine Inch Nails. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this song just works for so many yeah, clever bands, doesn't it? Or Ja Rule. Not having Ja Rule? Uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. No, right. We'll leave it there. That is Kill Pop by Slipknot. Uh, you Can't Kill Me is produced by This Decay and there's nothing you can do about it. Goodbye.